off here. Good morning, everyone. How you doing? Welcome, everyone here and um, those coming in and also uh, those watching online. Let's start with uh, prayer today. Lord God, we um, ask that you uh, just um, you just 
meet us here in your presence. We praise you for who you are, Lord, um, for this day that's going to be warm um, but wet. Uh, we give you thanks for that. And Lord, we just ask for your Holy Spirit to fill this place as we stand and we worship you. In Christ's name we pray. Everybody says, Amen.
trusting the all-creating one, God Almighty. Through your Holy Spirit, conceiving Christ the Son, Jesus our Savior. I believe in God our Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. and our defender suffered and crucified forgiveness is in you descended into darkness you rose in glorious life forever seated high I believe in God our Father the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one, I believe in the resurrection, that we will rise again, for I believe in the name of Jesus, and I
virgin birth I believe in the saints communion and in your holy church I believe in the resurrection when Jesus comes again for I believe in the name of Jesus yes I believe in God our Father I believe in Christ the Son I believe in the Holy Spirit our God is three in one I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again for I believe in the name of Jesus and I believe in God our Father I believe in Christ the Son I believe in the Holy Spirit our God is three in one I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again for I believe in the name of Jesus. For I believe in the name of Jesus. Man, all right. Say hello to somebody near you, and our kids can head on to Haven Kids now. Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty. From whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Uh, that was fairly lame, but I'll let you go today. All right. Um, let's go to our, our prayer request um, here today. I want you to lift up um, um, Mike Travers, um, his, uh, his father, who is um, very sick and hospice is in. And so Mike's been um, working with him. So uh, prayers for Mike and Tina and their family as well. Um, Rick and Sarah lift up Gary Stump um, for um, lung cancer. Continue to lift him up. Um, Joanna Ron, uh, Lou had a heart attack this week, okay? Um, so we want to continue to lift him in prayers. Also for anyone else who shut in, um, for Lauren Shea for healing from cancer and for world peace. We definitely want to continue to lift up um, the whole situation with Russia and the Ukraine in that. Um, Brendan Ernie uh, Wallace lifted up 
prayer for, um, for Brenda. Um, she has a procedure, is that right? Um, procedure um, with her eyes. Sorry, I missed that. What is that? Big toe? Okay, with her foot. Yeah, her big toe. Sorry. Um, on her right foot. So pray for healing. Please do so. Thank you. Um, Donna, for the youth group that are down in um, Ocean City, having a good time, and for those who are with them, and for safe travels back today as well, all right? Um, and so keep everybody in your prayers, as you will, as always, um, and we're thankful for um, the, the uh, we're tempered, but we're thankful for the positive news about, with COVID and other kinds of things right now, and we hope that continues in a trend where we don't have to say that dirty word anymore, correct? Anybody with me there? Um, so we want to go ahead and thank God for those things. Let's go to Lord in prayer now, if you'll join with me right now. Lord, we just um, praise you and thank you for your your Holy Spirit, as we sang today, for God the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, we thank you for your triune presence with us. Uh, so, Lord, um, we also want to lift up those on our prayer request, those we lifted up by name, like Gary Stump, for Lou, for Lauren, for uh, World Peace, um, for Brenda, um, for the youth group, um, for uh, Mike Travers, his, um, his father, um, and for the, for the May family, uh, for Jeremy's father, we want to continue to lift him up in your prayers and the entire family there. Let's not forget that. And all others who may say, oh, wow, I wish I would have um, lifted up that prayer request or other kinds of things. God, I just pray that you will, um, you will continue to not, not just meet our needs but, and not give us what we want, but God, that you may give us what we need. Um, and sometimes what we need is not really what we want. Um, but we just pray that, um, and we're thankful that the Creator knows the creation a lot better than the creation knows itself. And so um, in our time today, as we are continuing in the Apostles' Creed, uh, God, I ask that you'll, you'll use us to continually connect us um, to uh, all those, that community of faith, for years, um, years and years and years, um, that you'll correct, correct us where we're, we're off about our ideas about you and about um, all the other kinds of things of our faith. And God, that you will, um, will form us to be your people that are not just limping along, um, and not just the, the sick body of Christ, but one that is empowered and resurrected. And for that, we give you praise in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Um, lots of different things uh, going on today. I'm going to show you uh, a video of some of the other stuff, and then we're going to talk about one. And I believe Rhett West is going to come and share a few brief comments about that in a second. So we're going to see one video first. It's going to be the general stuff. Then we'll come back and we'll talk about Miriam's table.
right, good. We have a, um, a lot of different things. And again, if you, I know that we're randomly clicking through those things. You see those. Um, that's all online. You can go ahead and check that at havencc.org, and we'll, uh, we'd love to get you um, connected to that. Before we get uh, further on, I'm going to ask Melinda if you'll just put up the, um, the uh, QR code for the bulletin um, before we get... Um, so you can go ahead and, and hit that if you want with your smartphone. Take it out, and you can hit that if you don't want the paper uh, bulletin. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, set up a little bit. We are going to be having, um, again, many of you have been around for a couple years. We've supported Miriam's Table. And um, Miriam's Table is a ministry um, that got started by um, the Kiefer's, uh, Susie, and what's her husband's name? Ed. Ed. Ed and Susie Kiefer in the Congo, the Democratic Republic of Congo. And, um, and so um, she met a little girl named Miriam correct, fell in love with her, um, and um, Miriam's uh, family had sickness and other stuff, and her father, uh, I believe, passed away, is that correct? And he wanted, um, wanted Susie and Ed to, to raise her, and they were able to adopt her. We've had Miriam's here, here with us. Through that time, they created this avenue to be able to feed um, children, also medical supplies and other kinds of things. And so what I want to do is show you a video real quick of what, we've, of, of what this ministry's done, um, and also, we, traditionally, we had done the love loaves or the bread banks. We're going to do something a little bit different this year, but we're going to show this um, real quick. So we'll show this now, and, it, and you can come on up, Wes.
Okay, Wes is going to share um, a couple of brief seconds what, what we're going to do differently this year. Go ahead, Wes. Jack covered pretty much just about everything. But uh, as I said, in years past, we've done the little loaf banks and collected and done different things, along with the opportunity to, to give online at Haven CC. But this year, we've decided to make a bowl and little loaves of bread. And for $5, you can buy a loaf of bread, and we'll put it up on the wall out here in the foyer to your left. So like I said, this is a program that started, Sue and Ed started five, six years ago now. And they went from feeding a few hundred kids to 350 to 400 kids a day, five days a week. And you can see it was a bowl of porridge and a loaf of bread. And the porridge has vitamin supplements in it. And it cost about 57 cents a day to feed a child for $135 a year. And you could feed one child. So we appreciate all you've done in the past and look forward to what Haven will do this year to help those that need. And when you can see the smiles on the kids' faces that are there now as opposed to the look of mourning, you know, and just downcast to how help does so much for these kids. And I've been there and seen them and it just lifts your heart when you can see children so much better off now for just a little bit we can help them with. All right, thanks, thanks a lot, um, Wes. Good job. Um, so, I mean, great, great stuff. And um, Wes, you've been over there before, correct, in the Congo and done mission there. So, um, so that's, uh, that, it's, a, it's a great ministry, and you guys have been really awesome in, in helping people. When you think about that, how much did you say it cost a day? 57 cents. It doesn't cost that to feed my kids, I can tell you that. So, um, so that's a bargain. So we hope that, um, that you'll, you'll be willing to go ahead and, and give. This church has always been great about giving, always been fantastic about that. All right. Um, okay, so we are in our fourth week of the Apostles' Creed, just going through the Apostles' Creed. And, um, and today we're going to be in, if you have your Bibles, um, regular, regular Bibles, digital, whatever you want, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. You're going to have a flashback and think that you are in a Christmas Eve service uh, today. Um, but we are going to um, talk about uh, the angel Gabriel and Mary um, and that kind of stuff. And I'll talk about why. Um, we set up to this point that the Apostles' Creed is over 1,000 years old. And it's probably the oldest creed that is used. Um, and it's used primarily for two reasons. Um, it's used to correct errors. And it's also used as a spiritual formation tool for believers. Um, in case you don't know it, as, as humans, we tend to mess up some things up. Um, one of the things that we mess up a lot is we mess up our ideas about um, and our, and our uh, errors and assumptions about who God is. And we do that a lot. And, um, and so uh, and basically off to God's nature, his character, we go ahead and we add our own stuff in there. It also helps us sh God shape and mold us into be the people that he would want us to be. All right, so that's one of some of the primary reasons. So we're looking for correction and formation, if you want technical terms. Um, and the reason why um, we need to do this is because we've got to understand what I want to call a Genesis 3 world. Okay, I want to talk that we live in a Genesis 3 world. What is that? I'm going to take you back. In Genesis 1, it said God created the heavens and the earth. God created, and he said it was good. It was good. Everything was good. Everything was created. Everything God created and creates is good. 
Um, and so picture the universe. It is just utopia. There's a rhythmic um, just awesomeness to it. Um, and uh, men and women, the man and woman and others are just flourishing. Um, and the, uh, the animals and others are just flourishing. Then Genesis 3 happens. Genesis 3, we know about, you know, the fruit. Um, we say it's an apple. It's not an apple. Um, but it's a fruit. It's a serpent. It's all stuff. But bottom line is, sin entered through their rebellion. Basically what they did, and sin's that big term. Sin just means that they just decided God said this is the way to go, and they decided to try, choose something different. And we've done that ever since then. Um, so the universe, it breaks the universe. It's universal. It, um, John Wesley said it diseased um, the creation. And so we're living in that diseased nature. So there is nothing from that point on that, uh, nothing that, all that stuff that was good is now tainted by this thing called sin. And, um, and so now we experience that Genesis 3 world. And in that Genesis 3 world, we experience brokenness, whether physical, uh, mental, or emotional. We experience loss. We experience uh, the pain of death and, um, and just relationships that are broken. And we suffer. We suffer. We are, we're baffled. Anybody baffled by anything that goes on in this world? Anybody? Um, and often in those times, we begin to do how sin honestly entered in the first place. We begin to question God. We begin to have a lot of different questions. Um, because the brokenness that's around us pushes us in a direction to say, if God is loving, then why is this happening? If God is all-powerful, then why is this happening? If God is all-present, then why did he let this happen? And we begin to ask those questions. And so in this room, what I'm going to do, I'm going to start off um, with a confession moment today. I'm in this room just to make everybody uh, feel comfortable since you're not alone. How many of you, at some point in your life, in your whole life experience, um, have either in the kind, a kind of loss or situation has left you baffled and you kind of, you know, maybe been for like, an, like a brief moment or may have been for a long time or may you, st- you still may be there. Um, it kind of it shakes a little bit your confidence in who God is. Anybody ever been there in your entire, entire life here, all right? Entire life, all right. Um, uh, you're not alone and you don't need to feel guilty about it um, but because basically no one gets out of the Genesis 3 world unscathed. No one. Everybody has to deal with this. And so it's in this mess of the Genesis 3 world that the, Apostle, the Apostles' Creed originated from the Word of God that we have. And again, I'm not preaching the Creed. I'm preaching the Word of God, which the Creed is based on. And that, that Creed and the Word of God is made to shape us, mold us, correct us, and point us into what is true, what is good, what is right about the Creator of the universe. So um, what we've been doing the last several weeks is we will go ahead and we'll stand and we'll recite it together. And it's a very kind of cool moment because um, today all around the world in different languages, people have been reciting the creed in different churches. Um, Throughout the onset of the creed, uh, it connects us as a Christians who are a creed old people. Um, Historically, that's what the church did. And we said that they do two things when they they say this creed over history. Um, They reject the popular narratives of the day. Um, so in some areas, still today, if it's said, or making this profession of faith, it can cost you your life um, in certain areas of the world. Um, in others, we just stand and do it and, um, and say it very rote. Other, but it, it groups us as a creedal people of what we believe. And it also has us, as I gave in the first week um, when we talked about pledging allegiance to the flag when I was a kid, it also has us say, you know, my allegiance belongs 
to Jesus. And we talked a little bit about him being the king last week when we talked about Caesarea Philippi and other things. All right? So it's not an incantation. We're not going to chant and go ohm and feel really good and limber. Okay, we're not going to do that. Um, It's also not going to save you, and it's not going to put a curse on you or somebody else you want to put a curse on. It's just, it's something that we say as a creed based off of the Word of God. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand right now, and we'll put it up here, and we'll read this together. Are you ready? Here we go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he arose from... He ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. From whence you come to judge the living and the dead, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. There you go. All right. So today, um, I got a little ahead of myself last week. I said we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, and we are, um, but we're going to really talk about a phrase that was in what we just said um, that is connected to our topic of last week. Last week, we talked um, about how we believed in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. Remember that. So last week, we were talking about him as Messiah, as Christ, as King, as the Son of God, who is co-eternal with the Father. He always has been, always will be, and he is our Lord and our Savior. And he alone is the only one that can rescue and save us. Now today, we're going to this next phrase, and this next phrase is, he, it's about Jesus, and it was, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And that's what we're going to talk about. So that's why the title is H.S. Conceived and Mary Born. That's why the title is that this week. So uh, there's a few ways I thought about we could do this today. And the one, first two I'm going to share with you, we're not going to do. Um, first thing is, I could do a full-on sermon about the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to do that. Because in a couple of weeks, we're going to say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to save it for that week. Um, and uh, we'll unpack that in the third person of the Trinity. We could also do a full sermon on Mary. And I'm not going to do that. Um, not that I don't like Mary. I think Mary's pretty cool. I think Protestants uh, kind of don't give Mary enough credit. Um, and so um, I think we... But she's pretty awesome, but we're not, she's not the point of the creed here. Mary is not the point of the creed. He's just, Jesus is the point of the creed, and Mary just happened to be his, the, the one who was chosen to be his mother, okay? Um, so we're not going to do that. So what am I going to do today? You already talked about Jesus last week, Jack, I know. So today what I want to do is I want to point to the creed, and what we have here is we have the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all present and very active in this act of Jesus um, being conceived by the Holy Spirit. Um, C.S. Lewis, uh, the, the, of Lion, Rich, and the Wardrobe fame, um, has, has a great saying. When he refers to this, he, call, he says that the, the triune God, uh, the, the Godhead, is doing um, what he called the dance, the dance here. And the Godhead in this beautiful dance is, um, with, with one God that's distinct in yet three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so what I want to do today is just look at this and, and kind of see how, how incredibly awesome and wonderful this whole thing is here. And to do that, we're going to go back to a Christmas passage in Luke chapter 
1, uh, 26 through 38. And I'm going to be reading from the New Revised Standard Version just because I felt like it. Um, and that's what we're going to do. I switch them up every once in a while. But here we go. I'm telling you, you're going you're to want to say Merry Christmas after this. And here we go. So let's look at this. Um, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God. Gabriel is the messenger God. It's, Gabriel is an archangel. Um, there are three archangels that we know of um, that, are, that are given reference. One of those is Gabriel, messenger. One of those is Michael. Michael is a warrior. And then there is the one that was the worship leader whose name was Lucifer. All right, who you may know as Satan or the devil. Um, that, um, so we have that. Um, so here we go. Um, Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favorite one, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed in his words. I find this amazing at how Mary is. I would have had to say, excuse me, I just messed myself because you just popped in. I'll be back in a little bit. But what is she, she says, oh, I'm perplexed here. You know, uh, just tells me a little bit about Mary. I think it's, I would have been like, ah, you know, it screamed and my heart would have been beaten. I would have passed out on the floor. But um, she was perplexed and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Get that perplexed. Hmm. What might greeting this be? I mean, Mary, yeah, you're pretty awesome. Um, and then it's, the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. I don't think she was, um, for you have found favor with God. Next thing. And now you will conceive. If she wasn't afraid now, she would be. Um, in your womb and bear a son, and you, will, um, and you will give him the name Jesus. You will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And, his, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? That is a legitimate question, I think, there. Um, and then the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High God will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age, as she also has conceived a son. Anybody knew that was? John the Baptist. All right. And this is the sixth month for her who has been said to be barren. That is a theme that continues throughout the scripture. Um, for nothing will be impossible with God. Let's look at this last part. Then Mary said, and I find this amazing again, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And then the angel took off. Don't you love how sometimes God gives you an incredible, scary task and word and then takes off? Um, and that's what happens here. So why did I start with explaining a Genesis 3 world, this world of brokenness and, and craziness that we live in? Because it is this world that has been from that time of Genesis 3, even up to now. And this is the world that the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit decided to invade in the Genesis 3 world. Now, what is it about a Genesis 3 world? And here's our, our first blank. Everyone knows there's something wrong in humanity. Anybody know something's wrong out there? You just feel it? 
Like you can sense it. It's kind of all around you that there's something wrong. It doesn't matter your philosophy. It doesn't matter your belief system. It doesn't matter your religion or your background. There is some kind of longing in us that can't seem to be satisfied. Like for the ancient Greeks, they believed that it was enlightenment in philosophy, that if you had this incredible enlightenment and knowledge, that you would achieve it. But what we're saying is just in whatever we're doing in life, there's something that just is missing in us. And so we're constantly feeling like there's something that we, can, that we need to reach and we haven't gotten hold of it. Some of us may feel the same way, that we're, we're, we're waiting or we're trying to press on to something that's there that we don't have a clue what it is. It's just there. Um, there's a type of knowing that maybe there's a greater experience. of I need, I need a deeper depth of something in my life that I can't f- find it. And honestly, in our capitalistic society, uh, advertisers, I know some of you have been in advertising, um, advertising is based off of this. Um, you know, you ever just sat and watched something and you see it on TV and you're like, I need that. Like even those little dumb things that are like 1995, uh, that I, and that and, and like I will find myself going down that aisle in, in Walmart of made for TV, and just being fascinated by it. I wonder if those blue blockers really work. You know what I'm talking about? Blue blockers, those glasses, and and I mean like you see something like that's cool. You know, oh, copper sleeves. I don't need one, but I want one. You know, I mean, there's something about us that just says something. Is, is missing, and we need that. And everybody knows that something is kind of broken. It's not only broken out here, but it's broken in us. And we're eager to fix it. We're really eager to fi- fix this. The easiest place to see this, and I, I challenge you to do this, is um, to go to a bookstore. Um, there's not a ton of them around, but there used to be a lot of them. But go to a bookstore. So if you head up to Christiana um, and Mall area, and you go to Barnes & Noble, and um, you can get your, you know, like, nine or, or twenty dollar coffee or whatever it is now um, with caramel frappe espresso and a twist or whatever it is now I don't know um, uh, and then you go to the largest section in any bookstore anybody know what it is self-help self-help is the largest section in bookstores um, and and what it what it gears itself off of is hey we know what's wrong with you, and for $24.95, we can fix it. It's, it's everywhere. Um, it's, it's on there. It's on our commercials. It's everywhere. But there's several self-help uh, categories, and some of these you may be like, yes. Like we have a whole section of financial peace and security, where if you could just do these 10 things, then you'll be good. If you could shift to a cash system um, where you use envelopes, but guess what? Now, a lot of places don't want to take cash, do they? So that kind of um, jolts us a little bit. If you could just have a, a good debt, not bad debt ratio, and if you could just use credit cards this way or never use credit cards, or, there's a whole list of things in that whole section that you can pick and pull off the shelf and a number of different ways to do that. There's another section that is the physical side of things. It's all about dieting and nutrition and Many of us, man, love, love, love that South Beach diet when I can eat all the bacon in the world, but I better not eat a, a noodle of pasta or else I'm going to gain it all back. And we, we, we've had those diets. We've had all kinds of, of, of different things, like you eat kale and 
all kinds of other green things from the sea. And, and you know, um, it, just, it just works like that. And you mix this and you put that shake and you spin it up and you're like, everything turns, you notice how everything turns green? Um, and then you drink that and you, you're like, it's, isn't it wonderful? And you're like, no, it's not wonderful. But um, you, you do it and you say, wow, this is how I'm going to do that. Or you say, hey, here's what you got to do. And you got to walk so much and you got to do stairs. And you, you go ahead and you pull out the old Jane Fonda tape and throw that in. And, you know, you're doing buns of steel and you're walking around like, yeah. Yeah, look at my buns of steel. Whatever it is, we have this physical section where we, we go ahead and we just buy into, um, once again, so that if we, I feel better physically, if I look better physically, then I'll, I'll be better. I'll be fixed. We have that. Or there's this vague over kind of like spiritualized section of books. Um, often, most of them are contained in the Oprah Winfrey Book Club um, that are there, and that stuff sounds good because they start with stuff and say, um, hey, become a whole person. And you're like, well, yeah, I'd like to be whole. You know, I don't know what's missing, but hey, I'd like to be whole. That sounds kind of cool. Oprah says I can be whole, and she's got lots of money. I remember when she was on Jay-Z, uh, WJZ here in, in Baltimore, um, and she's got money, so I like that. Um, she's done really well in life. And so I'm going to become a whole person and, and because I can, I can feel that I'm not. And so you have that whole section of things where you can get anything else there. And then we have aisle upon aisle upon aisle of relationship books, of relationships about anything. Where, you know, like, you know, my gosh, that man, that husband of mine, man, he is from Mars, and I've been married to him for 20 years. i got to figure this out because I want to kick him to Jupiter. You know what I mean? Um, and then, then he's like, man, that wife of mine, she's from Venus, and, you know, she, I, I don't get, you know, uh, there's that that's there. I've got to figure this out. And God help us. The church has jumped right into this whole kind of thing. Um, six ways to remove all your doubt. You know what we, you know, when we when we go ahead and, and a sure way to crush somebody is to do a sermon about how to remove all your doubt. Um, because guess what, something's going to happen and you're going to doubt, and that person's going to say, "Ah, I failed." So we're setting people up for failure um, immediately because that doubt's still there and they feel like they're, they're they're not good enough to be a Christian. And what we also do is we ignore tons of people in the Bible that we talk about in Sunday school, that we talk about in church, that we put in stained glass. Um, we talk about a ton of these people who doubted all the way through. And we even call one person Doubting Thomas. And that dude died in India for his faith. But he goes down as doubting. And they struggle with their faith. So what is it? What is it that's wrong with you and me, according to the Bible? It's not our finances, it's not our relationships, it's not our physical bodies. They might be symptoms of it, but they're not the disease. The disease is what the Bible calls this disorder, and they call it sin. All right, that's a big term because we've dangled people over the fires of hell, and we scared people to death, and it's a big little word. It's just an archery term that means you miss the bullseye of what God intended. Um, you just missed the bullseye that's there. And there's two ways that sin plays itself out in our lives. Sin can be an outright rejection of how God designed the universe to work. Just an outright rejection. Um, I don't care what God says. I don't care how he designed it to work. I'm not doing that. I'm my own king. I'm on my throne. 
I want what I want. I want to do what I'm going to do. And I'm going to get what I want. And I'm going to accomplish what I want to do. And tough. I don't care what God says. It's an outright just rebellious rejection of what God says. And we focus a lot on that. But it could be also that we embrace some of the false isms of our day. Like materialism. We, we, even though we as Christian people you know, live and we give and we do some things, that we still um, live under this po- Protestant ethic where, um, where some of us think that um, those of us who die with the most toys are going to take them with us. And you know, I've been around a lot of death personally over the last couple of years. And um, what I realized is nobody took anything with them but the clothes that they had and whatever box we picked out. I mean, that's brutal. But that's the truth. Um, and, and because when we, we you know, said our, our goodbyes, those who believed in the Lord, when they were absent from the body, were present with God. So what they're taking with them is this connection to God, or if not, the other way, right? And so this is what, this is what we, got, we need to look at. And so we, do we buy into this individualism and this materialism? And if you live long enough, you'll come to find out just how false these isms are. Um, in their promises, they play on our emotions, and it's an, an emotive response that begins to shape the way we see the world. It's how we think about relationships. It's based in an emotion, emotion way or, or feelings way. Um, how many times have you heard somebody say, well, I just don't feel like that anymore. I just don't feel um, in love anymore. I just don't, you know, I don't feel like going to work. I mean, who does a lot of times, right? Um, I don't feel like going to church today. You know, I mean, it's, it's like the, the old story about uh, a man who was in bed and his wife said, get up, it's time to go to church. And he said, I don't want to go. She goes, you got to go. I said, no, I'm not going. Put the covers back on his head. She said, I'm giving you five minutes. Walks back in. She goes, I said, you need to get up. He said, I don't want to go. They don't even like me there. She says, yes, they do. And you have to get up because you are the pastor. All right? So there's sometimes that pastors feel that way, okay? Um, there's sometimes you don't, f- what, what our, our feelings will always fail us. Always. Um, it's how you think about your life at being discipled. And that's a church term that we use, but I'm going to tell you something. If you're not being discipled by God, you're being discipled by something else. And it's one of the isms in in our world. Um, What narratives are you buying into? What stories do you actually believe? And so we're just kind of stuck in this rushing stream and being carried away. And we reject that, that we sin and forget that God designed things to be good in a better way. We just... You know, because we know that God, if we really know, we know that there's a better way that God knows for us. And yet we don't do that. Some of us sin, and this gets really, really confusing. You ready for this one? Some of us sin not in, in those ways that I mentioned, but we sin by using religion to tell us we don't need relationship with God. Um, and so what we'll say is, you know, hey, I, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I don't need to go there. I mean, I, I've, I've been to Sunday school so long. I got those pins that go down here. Like, remember the Sunday school pins, anybody? Um, and you would have those. Or, or I got worship service. Or, you know, even better yet, I got Spotify that plays contemporary Christian music. And I'm good. Or, or I can kick on the radio and listen to whatever pastor I want. Those things are good. But um, we've learned to play the game, even in as Christians. Um, we know what song, what point in the song that we raise our hand. 
Or we may even tap ourselves here. Do that one. I mean, or, or do the window washing thing like this, you know, that some people do. We know those things um, because we've been around church for a while. We know where to sit. We know what to say. We picked up uh, Christianese um, in many ways. Um, and we, we have a finism. What is finism? How are you? I'm fine. I'm doing fine. I'm good. Right? That's what we do in the church. How are you? I'm good. Fine. Yeah, everything's fine. Um, and then our Christianese comes around and say, uh, well, how are you? I am blessed. I am blessed, brothers. Oh, thank you. Thank you. May the peace of Christ be with you. Right? And meanwhile, somebody cuts you off on the road, and you're giving them another piece of something else. You know what I mean? Um, and so that's where we, where we are. In reality, what we find out is our hearts are really far from God, and it's not real relationship. It's stuff. Um, and it's unusual to think for us that we can sin against the holy God with a bunch of church stuff, but we can. Keep in mind, I mentioned, what I say that Lucifer was in charge of? Worship in heaven. You don't think he knows how to corrupt our worship? You don't think he knows how to get our mind off of God? Yeah, he led, he led worship in heaven and um, was good at it. Um, there, there is a place where we just kind of get into this rote, empty religion. Growing up, I said the Apostles' Creed about every week, unless they threw in the Nicene Creed and really threw me off where I had to pull out a hymnal and look at it. Um, but but I, I could do it like, I believe in God. I could do that like, bam, bam, bam. And then I'd sing the Gloria Patri. Praise God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And what's the other one? As it was in the beginning. Remember that one? Down never shall be, world without end. Amen, amen. You, some of you did that. You're as old as I am. The other people are like, what's he talking about? Congratulations, hold on to your youth, all right? Um, but, but I did those things that came from a passionate relationship with Christ um, and, and with the Godhead, and I did those in a rote kind of way because I knew now was the time to stand up and say what I needed to say. And yet it leaves us empty. In Isaiah 1, 1, here's what God says through the prophet Isaiah. He says this. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? Says the Lord. I have more than enough of your burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of the fatted animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of goats and lambs. God's saying here, I am so sick and tired of this sacrificial system. It makes me want to vomit. And the people go, um, you created it. God says, I hate this system. I hate the, the bulls, the goats, the blood of the fat calf and what all that well-fed beast. I hate it all. And you who God, um, you tell him. No, I ain't going to tell God. You tell him. No, okay. And somebody says, uh, hey, God. Um, you made this. We're just following what you told us to do. How can you say that you hate this and you don't want it? Later on in the book of Isaiah, God actually says, hey, I hate your singing. I hate when you sing to me when you gather. I hate it. Now, it's not because it's like the first week, couple weeks of American Idol and they can't sing worth a squat. It's just that they, and it's not about being on tune. It's about their singing, going through the motions, not with a heart for God. And so what we find out in Isaiah, that God actually is sickened by our 
half, you know, rote worship. Eh. All right, here I am. I know I, it's time to do this. God is weary. To, to God, it reeks and it stinks. And he says, he's kind of weary of your gathering and not caring about me. He's weary of your sacrifices. He's weary of your singing. Why? And let's jump to Jeremiah a little bit. Jeremiah 31, 33. You start to get a glimpse of, of this, but we're going to talk. Hold on to Jeremiah. At the very end of the service, we're going to, I'm going to mention one other thing about Jeremiah. Listen to what he says. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, the people um, of God after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. What we find out is, is the, the people of Israel, they, they, were, they were far from God. They were doing actions, but they were far from God. And God is saying, I'm not after this empty, rote religion. Uh, what God is after, he's after our hearts and he wants to write the law. He wants us to accomplish what he did, I mean, we, we like to talk about the Ten Commandments, and they're, they're great, and people look, oh, it's a great moral code along with Hammurabi and stuff. God never intended it as a moral code. He intended it as, as a means of salvation, and because of our sin, we couldn't do it. So he sent Jesus, and Jesus, you know, wrote that on his heart and, and ours. So the God of the Bible, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one, he's after our hearts, and he doesn't just want my reaction, but he wants a heart-driven action. He wants a transformation that occurs in, my, in our hearts out of his great love for us. He doesn't want a great discipline to try to earn his love. So there's a major uh, day and night difference here when we look at this. To earn someone's love and to be freely given some, someone's love is two completely different things. Um, you ever tried to make somebody love you? Like you ever... Like, you ever saw somebody like back in high school or whatever that you really thought was like good looking, you wanted to go out and date with them and they wanted absolutely nothing for you, from you? I mean, I don't because I'm so, I mean, look, but you know, I'm, I'm just joking. But, but yeah, you know, you know, there's that one girl you wanted to go out with. You're like, yeah, I'm going to ask her out. And she's like, I don't think so. You know, I, I literally, when I was teaching class one day, you, I, I'm sorry for you guys who have to do all these promposal things. You know what that is where they go, prom. And you go, I mean, we just called and said, you want to go to prom? No. Or, uh, okay, bye. Um, but this guy was sitting there with a big sign, will you go with me to the, to the prom? And I'm sitting there, um, and I walked into this class, and this girl's sitting there, and it was her. She looks at the sign, looks at him, and walks past like he is not even in existence. And he sat there, and then he walked out, and I was like, oh, girl, you are cold. And that's what I said to her. And, she, and she's like, yeah, he was my old boyfriend. I said, oh, now I got this. And she told me later he went and sat on her car when she was there. She got in the car and turned it on. I'm like, you are, you are so frigid. I'd never had to deal with anybody like that in my life. But nothing he could do could convince her to go to the prom with him because she wasn't going to do that. I guess if he held her at gunpoint, she might go. But that's totally different than if she was in love with him and wanted to go. So here's where we are. Our wicked, deceptive hearts often struggle to comprehend a love that's freely given and not earned. So this is the mess that we're in. We're, we're in this broken, sinful, and even if we try to be religious, we can mess that up too. And we try to be good and we mess, make it even worse. It's like trying to be good is like trying to get a two-year-old to clean up a mess they've made. You know, they get it and they just smear it and it's more in the cracks and you got to clean up more 
or you never just say to a two-year-old, hey, come on, go clean that up. Because you're going to have a larger mess and you're going to definitely know it when your foot's sticking to the floor and you're losing your shoe. It's just, it's the same thing how we just say, I'm going to try to be good. I'm going to try to clean up my life. So let's go back to Luke chapter 1 where we started here. We see the Godhead beginning to enter this world and this space, this Genesis 3 space. And in that first section of verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to um, Galilee in a city called Nazareth. So you have Gabriel is sent by who? God the Father. God the Father Almighty. To have a conversation with Mary. And Mary has some very legitimate questions. And in uh, verse 35, I want to show you the dance of the Godhead in the Christmas story. It's a lot of places. You can see it in Genesis, in the creation, and all other kinds of things. But the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. Here you have God the Father. St. Gabriel to tell that he is sending God the Son. Jesus, God the Son, is conceived by the Holy Spirit. All three at work right here. And here's one of the, the interesting things is, and this is really important to know, that our, one of the attributes of our God that we have to get right is one of the attributes of the Godhead. It shows that God is an initiating God. God takes initiative. God takes the initiative. Even at our own rebellious Genesis 3 world, broken world, God's response is not to pull back and to lean away, but to lean in. God wants to lean in. Since Jesus, since God sends Jesus to be conceived, to be in the world by the Holy Spirit, God is leaning in to creation. Everybody see that? I want, I want, you, to, I want you to think about it. Like if you shock somebody... Or if something happens around you, what's your reaction? Like somebody, you, you withdraw. God never intended for this to happen. And he could have gone like this and say, go ahead, have at it. But God intend, instead pulls in. And this is incredible news because he hasn't abandoned us in our mess. He leans in and takes the initiative. He gets his holy hands dirty. In Psalm 40, King David said this. And those of you who are U2 fans and Bono, you may remember a song called and he'd always end his concert and say, sing this with me, this is faulty. Right? That's what he'd say in his Irish accent. And he stole it from God, just to let you know. Um, and it comes from Psalm 40, where the psalmist writes about that, he, that he's struggling. And he says, and, um, and this was what my dad considered his psalm. He said, he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. And he set my feet upon a rock and made my footsteps firmer, gave me a firm place to stand. That's not a God who sits back and says, nah, you're too dirty. Nah, clean yourself off first. Climb yourself up on the rock. No, it's a God who says, you're drowning in the mud and the mire, and he reaches down and pulls you up. That's a God who leans in and initiates something. The God of the Bible, God the Father, sending God the Son, conceived by the God the Holy Spirit for the salvation of all humanity. But that's not the only thing we see here. Through this dance, we see that God writes the law on our hearts. It's no longer on the outside, but it's on the inside. In Luke 1, 31, not only is God initi uh, in, 
initiating, but it says, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and ever, and his kingdom will have no end. In verse 34, Mary says, uh, you who, how's this going to happen? Since I'm a virgin. That's a great question. Throughout the Old Testament, God has opened uh, barren women. We, we, you saw women who were infertile. You saw where it says Elizabeth, the same thing with John the Baptist. We have uh, the early matriarchs. We have Sarah. We have Rebecca. We have Rachel. We have Hannah, um, who was the mother of the prophet Samuel. We have the anonymous wife of Manoah, who was the mother of Samson. Here you have God opening the wombs of these infertile women time after time and time again. It's miraculous, but it's not impossible because all of them have a significant other. But Mary's like, you not me. I'm pledged, but that, that's not happening. You know, and when you look, there's, there's so, I, did, I did some studies. Like, there's a lot of people who had people later in life, like, like Sarah and Abraham, like in the... 90s and stuff. God, please, no. You know what I mean? Um, Don't take me to the promised land. Take me home, Jesus, if that happened. Um, But there's several people, and, um, and, you know, if God came to you and said, uh, hey, you're going to have a child right now, some of you right now would have the same reaction, if not worse, you might have passed out. Um, But I did some some looking at the modern-day claims of the the oldest fathers. and the oldest one happened in 1951 by James E. Smith. He was 101 years old when his baby was born. Uh-huh. His wife was 38. <laughs> the most modern one happened in that um, we can see, well, there, there's a couple of them, but the, the one that has the, the modern record was 96 years old, Ramujit Ragahov. 96 years old. His wife was 52. Man, people crazy, right? I mean, this happens. And the one I thought was really the coolest happened in July 26, 2006. And you're going to know the name. Julio Iglesias Sr. Not the singer. His daddy. He was 90 years old. And his wife was 42. Probably, Probably, you know, he probably met her at his son's and grandson's concert. Yeah, who knows? I don't know. But so what we have is this, is this is miraculous, but not impossible, all these things. But what we just read and what, what Mary's message is, you who, this is insane. It's impossible. You know, I mean, how's that, how's that going to be? Like, think about this. Think about Mary. You go ahead and you say, um, hey, how far along are you? Eight months. Is it a boy or a girl? It's a boy. Who's the father? God, the Holy Spirit. I've never been with somebody. You know, it's a God, God, the Holy Spirit. Um, hello, we got one. Somebody come pick her up. Am I right? That was, that's going to be a reaction. And Mary knows it. What, what are you talking about? This is impossible. This is absolutely impossible. Nobody accidentally gets pregnant without another human being. That's how this works from the very beginning. Yeah, that's exactly what happened here. So how do we know since it's impossible? Luke 1.37 is one of the most powerful verses you can ever know. Where Gabriel says, For nothing, nothing will be impossible with God. 
A few weeks ago, we were talking about God the Father. God the Father Almighty. And we said that God is infinitely powerful and intensely personal. Throughout the scriptures and human history, the laws and orders of the universe that apply to us do not apply to God. Why? Because he's the creator. And the creator and the king of all can do what he wants. The immensity of his powers know no end and have no boundaries. This is a small thing for him, and, but it's difficult for our finite minds to understand. For instance, have, have you... Um, have you ever, like, I was thinking this, this uh, winter, I, I, I went out, and I, you know, in the winter, you always get to see the, the sky clearer, like to me. But I was also thinking about when Melissa and I took um, Emigel, and we went out, to, out west, and we were riding through Utah and uh, Arizona and, like, those kind of areas. And there is a lot of nothing out there. I mean, anybody been out there? You know what I mean? I mean, it's beautiful, but then it's like, you're like, I hope this car makes it. Because um, the cell service is ridiculous too. Um, and so you're out there, but like when it would get nighttime, sky, you could see every star. Every star. And sometimes you just look and go, wow, I don't see that. Because like, I got a lot of stuff going on in my life. And when you see it, it's, it's staggering. It's mind-blowing. It's all over the place. And and. It's, it's rare that we actually see it in our populous area. You go to the city, you don't see it at all uh, at times because there's so many lights. In Job, it tell, in, in the Bible, it tells us that all of creation are the fringes of God's garments. What that means is when I'm looking at all, at everything in creation, that's just looking at like the, the end of God's shirt. That that's how awesome God is. That God in all places in the universe is, is, is above all things. Does that hurt your mind? It does mine at times. Um, because when I, when I see that and I, and I look at that and I see that these things are so immense and, and powerful. And, you know, like the Grand Canyon, I, I want to go sometime and do like the, the hike down there. Because I went and we didn't make plans to go to hike. And we went and like, oh, that's a big hole. And it's like, it's a real big hole. And then you go to another place and you go, Wow, it's still a really, really big hole. I mean, you see that there. But, like, it's the magnitude of it that just goes, wow. And to realize that is just the shoestring on, on God's shoes, right? It makes me feel really, really small. God doesn't have to obey the rules of nature because he created the rules of nature. And he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He created the rules to begin with and the rules to bring him glory. He can step into space and do whatever he pleases. And this is one of those moments where God reveals that nothing is impossible for him. And, you know, God says, I'm not constrained by limited resources. I'm not constrained by the rules of nature or anything because I am God, the creator of all things. So this little phrase that we have here today was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. You see a God who initiates toward his rebellious creation and pushes out anything that is impossible. And if we took those truths, both those things, and we plugged them into our grid, remember our grid that we have of symmetry, clarity, community, counsel, and advice that we're doing um, most weeks, uh, pretty much every week, it should begin to shape us. And it, it should be really heavy to some of us. And we need to be really honest where we are in our lives when we talk about this initiating, impossible removing Godhead that is in our Genesis 3 world. 
And the Bible doesn't shy away from that. It's a grimy book. And we need to go ahead and take our, our nice Sunday school lessons off. Like, Sunday school is awesome, and I love Sunday school, and that, that gives us a, a great base of faith. But we saturate and make them nice so we feel better about them and just to saturate them for kids. But if we just take those glasses off and see how messy it is, let's take a look at this. So the first thing we're going to talk about is symmetry. And remember, symmetry was the one I said that, you know, put you in, in, in balance. Remember, I said it's like, again, it's like the upside-down pear guy in the gym working out and not doing legs. Has really, like, um, toothpick legs, but is, is working out. That's our idea of symmetry. I've been in pastoral ministry for 26-plus years. And at times, i got to tell you, pastoral ministry is very much of a frontline first responder type life. Um, not all the time, but often. Um, we show up right after the ambulance is there. Um, we show up right before the life support is removed. Um, right after there's a diagnosis that sometimes, many times, is terminal. We show up right before they go to the funeral home. I've experienced with so many people, even many people in this room, where you yourself have experienced a horrific and shocking loss. Some of you have experienced really dark times and tragedies, horrible abuse by people who were supposed to protect you and to care for you, and they didn't. But instead, they wounded you and marked your soul so bad and deeply that it hurts. So when I talk about an initiating God who overcomes the impossible, it can be nearly impossible for you to see through the lens of your life experience. Because from what you've been through and endured, from the loved ones that have suffered and died, from good friends who have betrayed you, there's just wounds that are in our soul. And it's difficult to believe that the God we worship is an initiating God. When where were you when? How come you didn't lean in then, God? There seems to be a lot of evidence in my life experience that tells me something completely different. And so I prayed this week, um, as we had this conversation, at some point that the Holy Spirit might do some healing in those places. Because you can't preach or manipulate into, that, into, into healing. You can't do that. Um, but I pray that you may see and sense by the power of the Holy Spirit that he may begin to heal those areas and those places in your heart and your life. And you might believe that God has never been indifferent towards you, but he has leaned in and he stuck his hand in the muck and the mire and has not abandoned you. For others, you may find yourself in what feels to be an impossible situation. You feel like your heart is losing hope. Good symmetry. This is good symmetry, though, because to know, know this is because our God is a God who initiates a God who, that nothing is impossible for. And that God of mine um, wants to do something impossible in your life that you think is impossible to encourage your hearts. So let's take an honesty moment. Does anybody else, or have you ever, ever thought in your life that God is a little slow? Anybody? Anybody? You know, like, you're going to wait to see if he kills me before you raise your hand again. So, um... But let's be really honest. I mean, do you ever just feel like, God, what the heck? Get moving. Anybody? I mean, all the time, all right? Like, God, can you just knock this out and, and, and knock off your, like, you know, it says you don't sleep or slumber, but by my timetable, a little slow, God. Let's get moving. Um, 
to me, I mean, there's a lot in my life the last few years. I mean, there's been a lot of, lot of um, things that have occurred. And, um, and like there's so many times that I've laid in bed and I prayed like, oh, God, what's going on? Oh, God, what's wrong with me? Is this going to be my entire life? You ever had moments like that? Like, is this how my entire life's going to be? Or um, you've asked God to intervene. Or you've asked God for wisdom to try to understand what he didn't intervene with and why he didn't. Um, I've asked God to work in my heart and in my mind. I've pled with the Lord to keep me so busy that I don't have time to think about anything. Yet living in an inner and often outer conflict with myself and with others. um, And this becomes a soul-stealing, heart-crushing desperation. But somewhere in there, God's not removed. He's keeping me. In some areas... I can begin to heal, and, and in other areas, I take steps back, and he begins to work, and he begins to move. And in some of those areas, I needed to see something about me. The Lord has ruthlessly loved me in the midst of my brokenness. My heart is healed in some places, but it's still torn apart in other places. My mind is constantly in battle with questions and negativities, and lies, and half-truths. Maybe you're sitting here, and you say, I I don't see where the Lord has ruthlessly loved me. And I'm not saying that God is a genie in the bottle, that you rub the lamp, or you say the Apostles' Creed, and then all of a sudden, everything goes your way. The theme of the Bible is not that. The theme of the Bible is not that the world's not messy. The theme of the Bible is that the world is messy, but we have a God who is ready to get his hands dirty in the mud and the mire. Symmetry is growing in confidence that there is nothing impossible for God and that God has not abandoned you, but he's leaning in even if you don't feel that he is. So that's symmetry. Next thing is what? Clarity. Clarity. I want you to consider these things. How you understand How you were saved really matters a bunch. The more you understand how you were saved, it's really important. Because the more you understand that you did not save you, but Jesus did, the more confident you'll be in a God who saves. And the larger role, uh, larger a role that you think you played in your salvation the more opportunity is to recognize that your salvation is going to be messed up because you're messed up and I'm messed up. But if God saves you, it can't fail. The clarity you and I need is simply this. If God is an initiating God and that God knows nothing of impossibilities, we can see that as the Apostle Paul said um, concerning the church of Philippi. He said this. Look at what he says in, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to just until he's tired of you, until like you're at a certain age. No, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You know what the day of Christ Jesus is? When he returns or you die and go meet him. God is always working in the life of his people to complete what he started in you. And it's not always fun because sometimes he needs to take a chisel and chisel aren't fun. Sometimes he needs to put, have you in the fire to reshape that hard area of your life. 
There's nothing impossible for him. And we need clarity to recognize he saved me. He will keep me. He initiates this. And nothing is impossible for him, and he will hold me. Number three, community. How should this shape community? Let me talk about fellow believers. The times in the culture that we live in, there's a lot of people looking to be frustrated, outraged, or hangry. You know what I mean? Have you noticed that? If you don't believe me, turn on your social media. We just want to be angry about stuff. Can you believe this? Have you seen that? I can't believe they did that. We should get everybody to post and write and protest and boycott this. God help us. It seems after we're all, you know, just rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic and we're going to hell in a handbasket and we thrive on pessimism. And it's just something that reveals something about us. But shouldn't Christians, if we believe in what we've talked about here today, be the most annoying, optimistic light in this world that there is? Because we have an initiating God. And the fact is that he says nothing's impossible for him. Not only going to be like every day you're going to be like, yeah, isn't this wonderful? No, it doesn't work that way. But we should have some level of positivity. I love, I love football, right? You guys know that. I love the football season. I love everything about it. Um, and when I, you know, I went to college at West Virginia University. You know, I'm, I'm an Eagles fan. And um, when I was in college, I told some of you guys I wanted to do something athletic. And so I wanted to pick up girls. So I literally did that. I was a, a cheerleader at West Virginia. So I actually picked up girls um, that way. So, um, so I, I did that. And, and I, I just did it for something to do. And it was fun. And I still go back every year and I'm an alumni cheerleader, and my kids think that's incredibly hilarious, um, and so do my friends. But anyway, um, one of the things that's always bothered me about, I, like, I'm a huge sports fan, and I know everything about football. I'm thinking about it all the time. I coach football, so I'm looking at it. But one of the things that, that has always kind of got on my nerves, even when I was in that role in, in cheerleading, is that... Um, when their team is losing 78 to 10, they're still cheering. Yay, go team. Defense. Defense. I'm like, defense, it's 78 to 10. Shouldn't there just be a score where they drop the megaphones and the pom-poms and say, we're done. You guys stink, you know? Um, <laughs> I've been to games where it's literally 54 to 3, probably an Eagles game, at the half, and they're just cheering their guts out. Yoo-hoo, it's over. Go home. Really, we as Christians should be cheerleaders in this world. Not a weak spirit of optimism that's not rooted in anything else, but to talk about something that God is never, ever panicked, never worried, never wrings his hands. Now, he doesn't go, oh my gosh, did you see what happened? Come here. Um, Jesus, Holy Spirit, let's have a holy huddle here and figure out what we're going to do. That's not how God works. That's not our God. He doesn't work like that. That doesn't mean we're just jerks and we're like, yay, yay, that's glad that happened to you. It means we also add to that that we mourn with those who mourn and we weep with those who weep. Last thing, number four. Counsel and advice. Psalm 42. King David gets in, in an argument with himself. And anybody who's ever had an argument with yourself, this may sound familiar. Look what it says. 
Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Now let's look at this again in the English Standard Version, particularly this first part. Louis says, why are you cast down, my soul? You feel it? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my what? Salvation and my God. We must learn to win the argument with ourselves if these things are true, because God is an initiating God, and God does the impossible. We have to argue against ourselves, and sometimes that's the most difficult argument we're ever going to have. Because inside of every one of us is a weak, whiny, pessimistic, doubting, broken, fleshly, wicked residue that wants to point out that what we hope in is not true, that perpetually lies to us. David argues with himself and says, why are you downcast, my soul? Hey, put your hope in God and you're going to praise again one day. Why are you doing this, my heart? Why do you believe this, my mind? Why are you buying into this? David wins the argument with himself here. But there's times David didn't win the argument. If these things are true about God, how much more can we begin to start to counsel ourselves and others with this truth? And this is where clarity happens. And I want to tell you, for clarity purposes of clarity, when people are really in the darkness of soul and in the depths of their life, it is not the best time to make sure they have a correct theological framework. Don't just come and say, you know what? All things work for the good of those who love him according to his purpose in Christ Jesus. Yeah, sorry your whole family died, but it's going to work out good. You know what? God won't give you anything more than you can handle, sister. And you're laughing because you've heard it. And many of us have done it over the years. I hate that. When a horrific uh, tragedy or occurrence has happened and somebody is going through something, just keeping that in mind that it's not the time to correct the theology. I'm a pretty mature Christian in my life. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, if you come up to me and I'm in the darkness of my soul, I may drop kick you out a window. All right? We're confident, though, that God is on the throne and that nothing's impossible for him. So what do you do when you walk into a room? There's devastation and there's heartbreak. What do you do? You cry with them. You just be with them. Whatever they need, you try to help. And in time, they may ask you for counsel or advice. And then you can give it to them. But just be there through the dark night of soul. We're, I know we're running later today because we had some other extra things here. But this is really important. I, want you, I, I ask that you, if you just give me some extra time here. And because um, I want to go through some of this stuff. And, um, you know, just um, over the last several years... Actually, a lot of my life, there's a lot of stuff that has caused me a lot of headache and anguish and other kinds of things. Um, and so when I see stuff that happens, I am just as confused as all of you are. Um, sometimes even more. Um, in the last several years with the losses I've experienced and, and just the nonsense that exists out there in the world, um, I've had several people say... Um, I don't know how you do it. And, and, I, and I've been true with saying, you know, it's only the Lord who does that. But I got, when, the real answer at times is I don't know how you do it. The real answer is poorly. Okay, just so you know, is, is poorly. I, I've been trying to be real honest with myself and others lately. And some 
who have shared my have shared my struggle with you, and I love you immensely for loving me. And I, I, I know you you all want to have the magic words. You want to have the perfect, encouraging scriptures. You want to have the right theology, and you want to have the best psychological description for me. And I know you want to try to figure out why I struggle with what I struggle with and why I don't see myself in the things around me uh, the way others do and why at times am I so angry and why at times am I so broken and hurt and why does my brain work the way it does? That's a question I have for God. And why my feelings send me on this roller coaster of emotions and fail me constantly and why logic and faith at times can't get through the dark night of Jack's soul. I truly love you all for caring, and sometimes the, the only thing that gets me through it is what we call the ministry of presence, where there's not much that you can say, but you just hang out with me. Or you just, sometimes I just don't want you to hang out with me. You know what I mean? Sometimes I just want you to say, hey, I'm here. Sometimes I may need you to just cry with me a little bit. Sometimes I need you to give me the freedom not as Reverend Cohen or Pastor Jack, that you give me the freedom as a, as a child of God who is struggling in Genesis 3 world, which is broken in his own brokenness, to say some really crazy, bad theologically driven statements laced with emotion without correcting me. Or just a call or a text pulling up in the car and, and revealing that you don't know what I'm going through, but hey, I'm here. Even if it means me leaving me alone because you recognize at that moment, he doesn't seem very pastoral. These are things that bring the peace and the presence of the Holy Spirit. The ministry of presence is informed by our own conscience, and it's informed by the fact that we have a God who is initiating love, and in fact, nothing is impossible for him today. So as I close today, here's how I want to close. Um, I know that there are those of you who are right now, and you can totally relate to what I'm uh, saying earlier. That there have been things that happened in your life that have kind of fractured you. That have broken the lenses that you see the world through. It's difficult for you to see an initiating love of God, of the Godhead in your life. And if we're really, really honest, then what we, want to, then what we end up saying is this. I don't really trust God. I mean, let's be really, really brutally honest. And to say I really don't trust God in a church seems wrong. And it seems wrong for us to say it who've been brought in and come to faith in Christ. We're going to say, man, God's not going to be happy if I say I don't trust him. God, I don't trust you. It is underneath it all. It wreaks havoc. It ruts our guts out. It causes depression and hopelessness. It clutters our brains. It ruins our walking in faith. It takes away from our confidence. It's there, and we just don't say it because we feel like we're not allowed to, and we shouldn't say it. But the bottom line is simply this. We doubt the goodness of God, and we doubt that we can really trust God. Because we have so many other things that have fractured our lenses that tell us, I don't know whether God is trustworthy. Yet that's where some of us are. And you know what's crazy? By not saying that, we think we've hidden it from God. And guess what? You haven't. 
In Psalm 51, God says what he desires is a broken and contrite heart. It says he will never despise a broken and contrite heart. If your confession is, I don't trust you, God doesn't despise that coming from a broken, contrite heart. In the book of Hebrews, it tells us that we don't have a high priest who can't relate. It tells us that we have an empathetic high priest who understands. Jesus Christ knows it's scary. He knows it's difficult. And so what I want to do is I want us all to be really honest because we spent years in churches not being honest with each other. Remember, we got the fine-isms. I'm fine. If you are or you would say that at some point in your life or at some times, if you're really honest, you say, I struggle, I really struggle with trusting God fully or there's something in me that struggles to trust God or I don't think that I trust God like I'm supposed to or I believe in the word of God, but at times I doubt it's for me. If that's you, I want, I want us to just raise our hand and that there's no shame, there's no need to be afraid If King David can say it, then we can too, because he's called a man after God's own heart. So if that's you, you say, there's sometimes I just really doubt that I can trust God. Go ahead and raise your hand up. I mean, go ahead. It's it's there, all right? All right, so you can put your hands down. And for some of you, that may be the reality. You feel like you're losing hope, you're in an impossible situation, and you fought for a while, and you're tired, and you're just trying to hang in. The situation's starting to weigh on you heavily. And you're starting to feel really, really weak. And you're growing weaker and weaker by the day. Something to quickly think about is that none of those confessions um, and the ones that weren't made, but God still knows about them. And the interesting part about this, God knew about the world, but he still leaned in and showed up and initiated with Mary, and he still does to us today. God never, you want to think about Jesus, is Jesus never shows up in someone's tears and then starts to give them a lecture. Um, never after an accusation does he start to say, okay, sit down, time to get you right theologically. Or to tell you that you need to work on this and you need to be better at this. What we do see is the Godhead, God pulling up a chair letting us rant, letting us cry, letting us scream, and yes, even letting us curse. Letting our soul break to the very bottom so that he and us together can start to put it all back together. I I just said I would tell you a little bit about, about Jeremiah, and I think this is really important. Otherwise, I would have cut out a whole bunch, but I just there's something that I think somebody really needs to hear today. Jeremiah was called a prophet in a time when Israel was in rebellion against God. God told him this. God said, God said, if you'll do what I tell you and you'll say what I tell you, I'll give you power to build up a nation and destroy them. Jeremiah says, oh, heck yeah. That sounds awesome. So he begins to prophesy. He begins to say what God wants him to say. He begins to do what God wants him to do. And he gets the snot kicked out of him. He gets beaten up. When all is said and done, the whole nation goes into bondage and Jeremiah's with them. And he's probably saying, you know, I'm talking, I'm saying, I'm doing. Yoo-hoo, this nation is taking me in here. 
And there's this real mo- moving scene in the book of Jeremiah where he prophesies against the nation of Israel. And they're going into bondage if they don't repent. And the mob beats him up and leaves him naked in a ditch. I think Jeremiah was like, praise you, Jesus. Thank you, God. I'm so glad. Jeremiah looks up from the ditch. And he says, God, you have fatah. And that word is the Hebrew word for seduced me. You have tricked me. You have lied to me, God. Does that seem like the Jeremiah we look to and think about? No, we, we sanitize those areas. But Jeremiah, naked, beaten, and laying in a ditch, looks up at God and says, you have deceived me. God, you lied to me. And you know what's cool about it? God doesn't strike him down with a lightning bolt. God doesn't give him leprosy. God doesn't seal his mouth. God, the creator, lets the broken, hurting, contrite creation rant, complain, and be angry at the creator as God extends forgiveness, grace, and love. Isn't that amazing? If you know anything more beautiful, any that you can take whatever religion, whatever philosophy, whatever anything. If you have that, send me the book, send me the link, give me the movie, whatever it is. Because I know of nothing more beautiful than the God who leans in and allows me as the creation, as creation to rant, rave, and do everything when I say, God, you've lied to me. And he says, it's okay. Right? That's the God we serve. Let's stand. Let's stand today. I'm going to ask that you just bow your heads and as we pray. And again, thank you for giving some extra time today as we're here. Um, bow your heads, if you will, and as we, as we approach the Father today. Um, first, as we, um, we begin to pray, God, I just want to thank you in advance. Um, for those who are giving back to you in your tithes and, and our offerings, uh, um, that, God, you may receive those gifts. And for those who are visiting with us today, um, you're our guest, and we do not expect at all you to, um, to give, um, but just be our, our guest and just receive. And so, um, but Father, I thank you for that, and I ask your Holy Spirit to be upon those gifts and upon the, the giving that will help uh, Miriam's table as well but father i just want to thank you for sending the son jesus thank you for coming of your own free will holy spirit thank you for the ongoing work of creation and for the conception of jesus who laid aside his privilege and his throne and enters his own creation as a created being to save and so god um Right now, uh, we, we thank you and we praise you that you are an initiating God. We praise you and thank you that there is nothing that in this room or nothing in the rooms that we are represented or wherever we are that is too hard or impossible for you. And so we, I thank you for always giving us what we need and you use both joy and sorrow to shape and mold and chisel us. And thank you for extending your forgiveness, your grace, your understanding and love. As this broken, contrite, created person here and all my hurt and brokenness and the brokenness of everyone else who is here 
work through all my doubts and hurt and emotions and questions. Help us to respond to you. Help us now as we respond to what is true, what is good, what is right about you, Holy Spirit. Do a profound, beautiful work in our hearts today. And thank you for the amazing power of the Godhead. All for your amazing, powerful, beautiful name that is above all names, we pray. Amen.
everyone again thank you so much for hanging in there a little bit extra today um, remember Miriam's table also look for the other stuff and um, and God is leaning in right now this this world's hard right and I think a lot of times in the church we just put on like smiley faces it's hard and it's it's messy but we have a God who's ready to reach into the mud and the mire and so have that week because we can do that because next week X marks the spot we're going to talk about um, was crucified dead all right. Have a have a great week. God bless.